Lord Jesus, please help us by the Holy Spirit now as we consider your word. The entrance of your word brings light, says the psalm. And we pray for light to shine in our hearts so that light may shine from our lives. Amen. Today, we're talking about the kingdom of God and the church. Uh, I've already commented that if you search on YouTube for kingdom of God, most of the offerings on there are worthless, if not worse then. You'll find very little of any help there. You can't really blame technology and social media, though, because the church has been very poor at defining and declaring the kingdom of God for many decades. In fact, the rot goes back pretty much to uh, the Victorian times and the rise of liberal theology, disbelieving the Bible. Uh, from then, we've, we've, we've heard a lot of nonsense and we've, we've accepted a lot of nonsense about the kingdom of God. People advance their theories and they write their books, but they generally move away further and further from two things which are absolutely central to understanding the kingdom of God. What the Lord Jesus actually taught us about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like unto. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. Yeah? In parables. And we ignore his teaching. We think we've got a better idea. That's the first thing. We've moved away from what Jesus actually taught us. Secondly, we've moved away from how the church is connected to and engaged in the kingdom of God. Shades of Jaywick and maybe what we do even locally. How the church is completely engaged in the moving forward, the advance of the kingdom of God. And there are two ideas that, that kind of came up pretty much Victorian times, even while there was a great gospel witness going on through Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle and great evangelicals of the, of the late Victorian era, there was the rise of liberal theology. And that pushed in two directions, and to some extent Catholicism as well. Number one, it made the kingdom of God something that was merely mystical and internal. That, is, that came about by grossly misquoting Luke 17, verse 23, the kingdom of God is within you. Which doesn't mean what people take it to mean. I haven't got time to go back into that again. So it's just, it's just inside you. It's just personal. And secondly, that the kingdom of God is always somewhere out there. Oh, this is the church, but that's the, the kingdom's going on out there. Somewhere. So the kingdom is somewhere else and somebody else and someplace else than us. That is error. That is heresy. And that leads us down a dead alley. What is the kingdom of God? Oh, sorry, put that back up. <laughs> what is the kingdom of God? It is not about the, the gradual improvement of society. People had great optimism in the early 1900s. They were going to build a new society and there was a new age and there was a new mankind coming about. And the First World War shattered every dream. They thought that humankind would advance and advance and advance and we would you know, have a golden age. The kingdom of God is not the improvement of the society. It's not the spread of some political system, whether capitalism, socialism or some other ism. And it's not the running of nations by Christian leaders or the Christian uh, organizations or the church. We've been there and done that. We don't do very well at government. We don't do very well at power. Power doesn't rest well in the hands of the church. 
It's not our game. We are the alternative society, not the ones who run society. The kingdom of God is the reign of God since creation. Now, through his son, Jesus Messiah, all authority, all kingdom has been given into the hands of Jesus to reign on behalf of the Godhead. And when Jesus has finished his reign in the midst of his enemies, subduing enemies under his feet, he hands back to the Father a completed kingdom. We are living now in the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of God has that label. It's not a different one. It's the same one. But it's now got Jesus' name on it. We live in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Now. Now we've seen that the early church were led by the Holy Spirit as they wrestled with Jewish expectations about the kingdom of Messiah. To see certain Old Testament scriptures defining the kingdom of Messiah. So that they understood that Jesus is actually reigning in the midst of his enemies. He's putting every enemy under his feet and when he's done that, then the end will come. So the kingdom of Christ advances as person after person and community after community comes under faith and obedience to Christ. It advances by the witness and example of Christ's followers and local churches through the preaching of the gospel. And as I said before, people say, oh, I'd love to see some signs and wonders. Well, get where the kingdom of God is actually reaching unreached people, lost people, because that's where king signs and wonders break out. On the edge of the advancing kingdom. They are not entertainment for Christians on Sunday or on God Channel. They are to testify to the world that this is true. This stuff about Jesus, the crucified one, the risen one, is real. It's true. Look what he just did. That's why they're called signs. That's why they're called wonders. Because they make people aware of the reality of the risen Christ. We've looked at some of the parables of the Lord Jesus where he teaches us about the nature of the kingdom of God and the growth of the kingdom of God. It's worth restating that in almost every way what Jesus actually teaches about the kingdom of God is contradictory to what were the Jewish expectations, the, right, the, the, the leading of the rabbis. Jesus ex- tells us we're to expect mixture, that evil is not going to go away, And even we have to live with the disappointment of people who seem to come to faith but then fall away. He tells us it's happening. It's going to happen. But oh no, no, we're going to have a better time than that. Because I'm going to decree and declare it and that's not going to be, you know. (laughs) Go and decree and declare all you like. Jesus' words stand true. We live with mixture and yet his kingdom will advance and his church shall be glorious. What is the church of Christ? It's hard to find a picture here to illustrate because if you look again, YouTube, Google, whatever else, church of Jesus, guess what comes up? Stone buildings, steeples, stained glass windows. All very pretty, but that is not the church. The church is the community of King Jesus. Let me say that again to you. It's a community of King Jesus. The whole church is God's community worshipping Jesus. A local church is a local community for Jesus. Under his kingship. And then God, 
Robert Robb, who's passed before me, and he and I worked together for a while together. He had this expression, Lord Saviour. He kind of put the two words together because, you know, there's this silly idea that evangelicals had. You can be saved by Jesus, but you need to make him Lord. And you can fail to make him Lord, you know. It's nonsense. Jesus saves you as king. He's our saviour king. And if you don't acknowledge him as king, it's you that's in the, that's, that, that's in the dark. It's you that's, that needs to wake up. He is king. You don't make him king. He is Lord. You don't make him Lord. You just get to realise he's Lord and shape up. Wake up and shape up. But it's not your decision whether he's Lord or not. He is Lord. And you're accountable to a Lord. I think that's what we'll get to in a week or two's time. I'll talk about being stewards. The kingdom of God is ruled by the Lord Jesus. The church is ruled by the Lord Jesus. I'm paraphrasing scripture here. I haven't got time to prove them all to you. The kingdom of God must increase under him until it comes to completion. And the church must increase under him until it comes to completion. Matthew 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevent it. Let me explain that gates of hell thing. We don't fight the gates of hell. We don't go kicking. I wanted to write a song, he's kicking in the gates of hell. And I found some heavy rock metal Christian band had already done it. I'm glad I didn't write the song because I'd be really embarrassed now because I've understood what that scripture means since then. The word there is gates of Hades, gates of death. Who was it who beat the gates of death? Jesus. How did he do it? By rising from the dead. I will build my church and even death won't stop me. That's what that verse means. It's nothing to do with spiritual warfare. It's nothing to do with anything that we do. Jesus rose from the dead, defeated death and Hades, and now is doing what? Building his church. And do you know what? That's another scripture that comes under fierce attack from those who want to disbelieve the Bible. So-called Christians, liberals, who want to disbelieve the Bible. Oh, Jesus didn't say that because he never talked about church. He only talked about kingdom. No, he makes this great statement. I will build my church. And what is the church to be there for? It's to represent the kingdom. It's to be a community, a colony of the kingdom. Those two things, kingdom and church, are interwoven. So actually the one kind of goes over to the other. Both will continue despite the increase, even increase of evil until the last day. It is not helpful to us to allow false teaching to sit in our brains, to sit in our hearts and say, this is church, over there is kingdom. To make a separation between the two. We absolve ourselves of responsibility that way. This is the way so many people think. Kingdom of God's over here and Church of Messiah's over there. All right? The world wants us to think like that. The devil wants us to think like that. Unbelieving people want us to think like that. Do you know why? Because over here, church, church can have its steeples and its buildings and its stained glass windows and have its quaint historic ceremonies. And leave them alone. You know, they're all right. Don't, they're no problem to anybody. You know? Where's God then? Oh, God's, God's out doing his stuff. I mean, you know, he's, he's out doing his stuff. With other people. Not the church, because they're irrelevant. Other people are doing the kingdom of God stuff. Because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of out there. And... Where's Jesus then? Well, logically, I suppose, he's with the church, helping them have a nice time. On their own. 
And people even come up with this expression, I'm, I'm not a church person, I'm a kingdom person, I've got to be out there. Do you see how that division runs through the way people think? It's not biblical. I want to undermine that stronghold. In fact, I want to blow it up with about 100 tons of TNT. A better illustration is to understand there's, there's a connection between the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus. And it would be like this. It's like an ark. I'll put a rainbow. I don't know if rainbows are a good idea right nowadays. But the kingdom of Jesus, you see the scripture says, his kingdom rules over all. God rules over all things. But he rules over a particular group of people in a particular way. And that particular group of people is the church of Jesus Messiah. And that's where his kingdom is focused into the rule the world of men and the, the rescue of lost people and the restoration of lost relationships and the recovery of lost families and all of that. That's where that happens. That's where that part of God's kingdom happens. Through the church. The church is not in itself the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is bigger than the church. But God is at work in his kingdom, through, over the church, in the church, and through the church. And if you let kingdom and church be moved away from one another, you'll end up with a defunct, dead, worthless church, and a vague idea that God's still doing something, but not with them, because they're, they're no good. I remember years ago, when I was just a new Christian, and going to Bible college and so on, I, I had a bit of money given to me, and I invested in some books, and, and two of those books... Uh, it's a two-part series, and I bought that just out of conviction. Like, what, what, what's important to me? Well, I, I need a good Bible dictionary, and I need this, and I need that. And, and I, I saw these books, The Church of Christ by James Bannerman, and I, I, I felt drawn towards them, and I, I bought them. And, you know, ever since then, I keep coming back to how important the doctrine of the church is and how wrong a lot of thinking about the church is. Seriously, wrong. Seriously, wrong. The stuff we put up with and we accept and we think, oh, but it's okay because it's Christian. And it's off the mark. Misses the boat. Because we don't accept what the Bible has to say about the church, what Jesus says about the church. When you go to the book of Acts, you, know, you don't find the word kingdom turning up much. and It doesn't happen very often in the epistles. Do you know why? Because the kingdom had come and they're now living in it. As they're coming to faith and repentance, as they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized, as they're beginning to learn what it is to live as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, as, a, as, a, as an obedient citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom's at work all over the place. So they find your book of Acts saying the, the word of God increased. You, you could say the kingdom of God increased, but it was through the word, through the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of discipleship issues, that people were living more and more obediently to Jesus. His kingdom was increasing. They've just got a new language about it. You see... Let's understand this thing about the kingdom of God and, and the, and, and, and in the world and so on. See, people may do a lot of good in the world. And well-meaning people try to commend that as kingdom work. Well, they're not a Christians, but they're doing kingdom work. In fact, here's a comment by Pope John Paul II. Polish Pope, remember him? Died 2005. 
Everybody says, I won't try to do an accent. Everybody that is just is called to form part of the kingdom of heaven, whether they be Buddhists, Jews, or atheists, as long as they are good. Is that true or false? Thank you, brave hearts. False is the answer. How do you know that? Because unless you're born of God, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're not in it. You can't represent it. You can't do stuff for it unless you're one of his children. And since it's the Lord Jesus who rules over God's kingdom, if it doesn't have his name on it, it's not his kingdom. You know? You can, you can stick a BMW badge on the front of your car, but if the rest of it doesn't say BMW... Now, you know I'm joking because I'm not a car snob. I really don't know. I don't even know what some cars are. Carl says, what's that say? I don't know. What's it say in the badge? Oh, okay. It's a Maserati. Okay. I'm just not into all of that, all right? But you don't, you don't make it by putting a badge on it. And you can't stick a Christian or church label or kingdom label on something and suddenly it becomes kingdom. It doesn't. It has to have the heart of this, that it's for Jesus and it honours Jesus and therefore it's his kingdom. If it's not Christ's church and Christians operating in the world representing him so that what is being done declares and honours him, it can be good, it can be helpful, it can be worthwhile, it can be charitable, but it is not the advance of the kingdom of God. We've got a mixed idea here. It is kingdom work when his people, Christians, churches, are doing it for the honour of his name. Even when a Christian engages in business, helps others, acts charitably, if they do it in their name for their personal wealth or honour, don't call it kingdom work. You're doing it for yourself. Fine, go ahead. God lives in and among his children, the church, and his kingdom is among them and upon them and advanced through them. You see, the Master taught us to pray a pattern prayer, didn't he? which is to be a daily prayer, because it mentions daily bread. I know I keep coming back to this, but I do believe we can do an awful lot of praying and yet miss, miss really the heart of praying. We can do a lot of work for Jesus and miss the heart of his great commission. Here's what he says. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a daily prayer, a daily priority. Setting out my priorities for the day. Submitting my heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm making your priority my priority. Today, let your kingdom come and advance. Let your will be done on earth. And your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And all of this for the honour of your name. For the honour of his name. It'll do me some good, but that's not the main issue. It's for the honour of his name. I want to go to the words of Jesus himself about us as church and punch out a couple of things here. These words will be very familiar with many of us. You are the salt of the earth. And again, if you look up illustrations, they're nearly all salt sellers. It's the wrong idea. This is not salt in the salt cellar. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The primary function of salt for many centuries, and certainly in the time of Jesus, was not to add flavour, but to stop decay. It's how you stop the rot, the meat going rotten. 
Until we learned how to refrigerate things, we salted meats to keep them longer, to keep them through the winter and so on. When George Whitfield sailed 13 times between England and America in the 1700s to preach the gospel, by the time you'd been at sea a week or two, on a journey that could take at least seven weeks and perhaps 19 weeks, you were eating salt-preserved pork and mutton, hard-baked biscuits and dried peas and beans and not much else. No wonder they got scurvy until they decided they had to have uh, you know, citrus fruit and juice and so on. It's to stop the rot. And the salt they used in Jesus' time was rock salt. Rock salt. Looks like that. And when the saltiness has gone out of rock salt, what you're left with is grit. It's other, it's other minerals, isn't it? Potassium and you know, zinc and other stuff. Not the sodium chloride. You've, you've had all the vat out of it, but the rest of it's there. Other chlorides and other minerals are there. So what you've got is grit, if you ground it up fairly small. What are you going to do with this grit that doesn't, doesn't salt? It doesn't preserve anything? It doesn't taste of anything apart from nasty stuff because it's not sodium chloride, which we like? You put it out on the gravel. You put it out on the path. And, and, and the salts that are in there, other kinds of salts, but might at least keep the weeds down for you. But you, you, you put it out to be trampled underfoot by men. Do you get it? It's rock salt. When it's lost its saltiness that preserves meat, it just becomes gravel. Jesus did not say, you are the honey or the sugar of the earth. Some people seem to think our main function in life is to be as nice as we can and give no offense to anybody. We are not the honey or the sugar. We are the salt. Which means we don't veer from the truth. We need to be humble. We need to be courteous in how we tell people things. All right? But we don't back off from telling them the truth. Oh, there must be another way to heaven other than Jesus. I'm sorry, but there isn't. No. No. Right? Salt. We're not here to make the world a nice, happy place. You've got to get rid of evil to do that. And that's not happening this side of Jesus' return. Right? We're here to slow down the rot in the world. People reviled um, Mary Whitehouse and campaigner and the, the, the kind of light mission, I forget what it was called at the time, that kind of opposed the increase of, of, of sex shops and, and, and the availability of pornography and the stuff that's coming on TV. And, and people ridiculed and poo-pooed and said, oh, you Christians, you can't be serious about that. And do you know what? The church kind of got embarrassed and backed off. And it's, and it's got really good, hasn't it, since then? Yeah? Things have gone really well. No, it's got far worse than ever. Far worse than ever it was. Where the salt, where to stop the rot. Not to make it taste good, to stop the rot. That's what Jesus is saying to us. You're there, my friends, to stop it getting even worse. To stop it getting even more rotten. We're here to slow the advance of evil if we can, to rescue some from evil through the gospel, to oppose evil wherever we can. You think things are getting bad? Well, we're the salt of the earth. How bad would they be if we weren't having some influence? 
But if we lose our saltiness, we're just good for gravel. Salt might be a work in almost an unseen way. So now the Lord Jesus gives us a different picture. In fact, a series of pictures which make a very different point. And that is that we are to be very visible. We are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, said Jesus. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The light of the world. Now you're saying, hang on a minute, I thought Jesus is the light of the world. Yes, he is. But guess what he said? While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So who's the light of the world now? Well, Jesus has just told us. You are. We are. They see the light of Jesus through the light that we spread. Through the influence that we have, through the witness that we give. And if they don't see it in us, they ain't going to see it. You think that's a harsh thing? Paul says, if our light is hidden, then the perishing will perish. They only get to see it through our declaring, witnessing, living, exampling who and what Jesus is. Now that he reigns from heaven, people won't see him unless they see him in us, his church. We are the light of the world, representing the Lord Jesus. I said last time I preached about us as individuals, we are ambassadors. We represent Christ Jesus wherever we are, in, amongst our unsaved relatives, in our work situation, in the hospital, the lawyer's office, wherever it is that we are during the daytimes. We are there representing Jesus himself. It's a big calling, isn't it? And we are to let our light shine openly, without shame, without embarrassment. Very clear, very obvious, very open. Who we are, who we belong to, why we live the way we do. Clear, obvious, uncompromising, unapologetic. Jesus said the church is God's city set on a hill to be seen by all. The Old Testament picture is of Zion, this code word of God's community set on a hill, a light to the nations. That's now the church. That's now the church. Glorious things are spoken of the O Zion, city of our God. And I believe there is yet coming even more glory, even more impact of the church. That is to say the kingdom of God through the church. There will yet be more glorious and more wonderful days for God's church. Why? Because his name is on it. He must have the honour. We are to shine intentionally, unashamedly, publicly for the honour of our Lord and our Father. When Barnabas came to Antioch in the book of Acts and saw the church that had emerged there. Luke says he saw the grace of God. I was talking about this with a couple of guys on Thursday. What did Barnabas see when he went to Antioch and saw the grace of God? He saw the way these people loved the Lord Jesus in worship, prayer and hunger for his word. He saw the way they loved one another and perhaps he saw the way they served the needy beyond their fellowship or church community. They were a visible evidence of the grace of God. You could see something and say, that's God's grace. Let your light so shine before men. 
That church in Antioch was like a city set on a hill. And last time I checked, there aren't really many hills around Antioch. But the church was. A lamp on a lampstand. And guess what we're called? Just to embarrass us? Lighthouse. A house of light. Now, I don't know if anybody still favours the King James Version. I don't know why Netty does. He's not well today. We kind of pray for a Netty as well. But if you go to the King James Version and read through what we just read in Matthew's Gospel, you will not find thee and thou. You'll find ye and you. What does that tell us? It tells us that the King James is accurately representing the Greek grammar there. When Jesus made these statements, they were not made to us as individuals. They were made to us as a community, as groups of Christians. You together are the salt of the earth. You together are the light of the world. It's the way you are together. Not just the way you are as an individual. That's not the way he said it. He said you together are the salt of the earth. You as a community are the light of the world. Therefore, when he talks about a city set on a hill, that amplifies it. A city doesn't have one person living in it. It has a community of people living in it. And it's us as a community who shared the light of Jesus because of who we are, what we are, the way we are. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our efforts, the way we spend our money. No one of us on our own is the light of the world. Jesus did not say a person on a hill. He said a city on a hill. You need to belong to his city. You need to belong to his community. To invest time and effort and soul and life into being a member, participating member of a local church because that is the city set on the hill. That's the, that is how God is going to affect whole neighborhoods. How we conduct ourselves personally in the world really matters. Clearly it does. I talked about that a week or two ago. But how we conduct ourselves towards one another also affects the world. Remember what Jesus said about loving one another? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you have loved one for another. Why is it important they know we're his disciples? Because they see the grace of God. They see the kingdom of Jesus. They see the love, Jaywick or wherever, that, is, that God has given to these people and that these people share between themselves overflows to an unbelieving world. That they may see your good works. Men will know that you're my disciples. Through the coming of the Lord Jesus, a number of mysteries which have been at work from the beginning of time or even before time began, if we think about the the Trinity existing before time, (laughs) have been revealed. Jesus spoke of the mystery of the kingdom of God. I speak these parables to explain to you the mystery of the kingdom of God. Something that's been hidden is now being revealed. When the Bible uses mystery, it's always to say it's now being opened up to you, not it's still, it's still closed off. If a preacher says, I've got the mystery to reveal to you, don't listen to him. All right? He's jerking your chain. Yeah? He's trying to get something out of you. All these mysteries are being revealed by these people. Jesus revealed the mystery of the kingdom of God. Thing that was hidden, now clear. Paul writes about the mystery of Messiah. The way Jesus was going to be, crucified, resurrected, and so on. These were mysteries, now revealed. Mystery of the gospel, believed in part, in, dimly, you might say, by Abraham, but now fully revealed, fully declared. There isn't more of the gospel to find out. It's huge. 
You just can't get to the, the, the limit of it. But, but it's there. It's in front of us. The mystery of the church and the mystery of the resurrection. Let me pick up on the mystery of the church. We can look back on our Bible and see all these were at work but are now proclaimed. The mystery of the church. God, that's a menorah. You know one of those Jewish candlesticks with the seven lights on? You can't see it in the sun, can you? It's a pretty picture. God has invested his wisdom in the church. Can I read you a chunk of Ephesians quickly? Ephesians 3, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. They've joined in to Israel, is what I'm saying. And are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a servant, a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Messiah. Get that? I'm preaching to Gentiles about the Jewish Messiah. I mean, wow. His unfathomable riches. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. How? How is God going to make his wisdom known? Through the church. Wow. You look at the church and go, wow, look what God just did. Wow, that's extraordinary. Jewish and Gentiles now made one in Christ Jesus. What an incredible thing. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That doesn't mean that necessarily they're in the heavenly places, but God's making it known from the heavenly places to rulers and authorities, whether angels or demonic or humans. Right Now, Chapter 2, before that, Paul sets out the churches, Jews and Gentiles, one new man in Christ Jesus. It's the continuation of the Israel of God. The Israel of God doesn't continue outside of the church, by the way. It is the church. We've joined Israel through faith in Jesus. We are fellow heirs of the promises of God. The promises made to Abraham, they don't belong to some other group of people. They belong to the continuing Israel of God, which in the church, of which Gentiles are fellow members. And outside of Messiah, outside of Jesus, there is no hope, there is no eternal life, there is no salvation, whether for Gentiles or for Jews. There isn't a different version, a different track. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus says. Who was Jesus speaking to when he said, no man comes to the Father but by me? To Jewish people. Before the message came to us Gentiles. He means it. You do not believe that I am he, I, I am, literally, that I am Yahweh, in other words, you will die in your sins. Salty message. This wisdom is seen in his people from different backgrounds and cultures, being one in Christ Jesus. And you might think that we are different from one another, especially on our international day, we celebrate that. But listen, folks, you don't get much more different than Jew and Gentile. Really done. And yet God has made of them one new man in Christ 
Jesus. In fact, Paul says the dividing wall has been broken down, demolished. No more division. Got to finish up. God has invested his glory in the church. Let's go down a few more verses in chapter 3. He's invested his glory in the church. This is a, this is a verse that's been one of my guiding principles. It's, it, there are times when I get discouraged. There are times I get despondent. And God always throws this, this. This is the ball he throws back up over the fence at me. David, do you remember that? Yeah, I'm, yeah okay, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond that we, all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I used to say they got the wrong way round. No, that's the right way round. Because if God does not show and his glory and is glorified through the church, then Jesus won't get the glory. And if we keep the glory for ourselves or, or, or we heap it up on these, these mighty men of God characters, then Jesus doesn't get the glory. God's very jealous for the glory of his son. Do you know that? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God will be glorified in and through the church as she represents his kingdom in this fallen world, as she declares the gospel, which is still the gospel of his kingdom, and as she is his international community of shared love and fellowship and brotherhood in the earth. A conviction that God will still be glorified, more glorified than ever in his church, in the world, is what drives me on. I pray that you may see it with me. You may catch something of that vision. And join with me in working and praying to see it more and more. Do you have conviction and conviction about the purpose of his church and of our church? Lighthouse in Harlow. You see, church really matters. Christ died for the church. She is his bride. The church is the visible community of the invisible kingdom of the God of heaven. But J.I. Packer puts it really well. He says, The task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness-bearing. Therefore, I say again to you today, your engagement with, your commitment to and partnership in a local church really matters. In fact, his name is on it. His glory is on it. It matters so that he is glorified. When you get involved in that way, you're taking your responsibility with other believers to be together the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're, you're, a, you're a citizen of this city set on a hill. And, and oh, dear old Ronald Reagan stole that one and said, America is still a shining city on a hill. No, it isn't. Churches! People say, oh, I, oh, I can get preaching and, and worship on TV and the internet. Second hand, second best. I'm being blunt, blunt with you. That's not fellowship. That is not partnership. That is not church. You're observing church. Now I know there are people who can't get out of their homes through illness and we've mentioned some of them today and God bless our brothers and sisters who can't be here. But for the rest of us who are able-bodied, we need to get our able-bodies where we're going to get them involved in the purpose of God and the glory of God. And church... Let me round up here. What is the church? 
I know you've heard these things from me so often. I need to say them again and again until we get them. Until you say them before I do. Do you know what I mean? Some preachers repeat things so often that people start saying them back to them. Well, okay, let's get there. What is the church? A building? No. Is it a meeting? No. That was a smaller no. <laughs> but the answer is no. I'm going to church on Sunday. I know what you mean. But please don't think in your heart that that is all the churches. Is it an organization like Assemblies of God or Elim or Church of... No. They, they, they play a part. They're good parties when they take care of Christian leaders and encourage them to do well and discipline when they do work, when they don't do well. You know, that's why you have those organizations and those over, that oversight and so on. It's good. It's, it's for a reason. And, and I'm appalled when I hear of people in some church denominations who are having a hard time or falling into sin and no one's doing anything to help them. I'm ashamed. Why are you a part of that organization? They're no good, are they, if they can't take care of people? Anyway, this is what the church is. It's the community of the kingdom of Jesus. It's the community of the kingdom of Jesus. Where every Member matters because we are fellow citizens. Do you get that expression? It, it appears in Ephesians 3. Fellow citizens. Jesus is our king. I'm not your boss, I'm not your lord. Jesus is king. We are fellow citizens. I have responsibilities. I have some authority to use at times. But we are fellow citizens of one Lord Jesus, one king, one master. And the more we gather to him... Strangely, the more close we get to one another. It's like we're moving through a funnel. The more we pursue Jesus, the more we get shoulder to shoulder. Oh, hello. (laughs) Why does the church exist? And again, people throw up our answers to this. Some well-meaning people, you can get quotes from them about why the church exists. Some will say, for the good of its members. Church exists so that I'm taken care of. For the needs of the world. For the sake of the lost. Well, do you know there's a bit of truth in both of those, but they are not the big issue. The church of Christ exists for the honor of Jesus, Son of God. That's why the church exists. That's why this church, Lighthouse, exists. For the honor of Jesus. Remember our vision statement? Lighthouse exists to see the Lord Jesus honoured by the increase of the quantity and quality of Christians in Harlow. Bit of a mouthful. We could have said Lighthouse exists for the extension of the kingdom of Jesus, the honour of his name. But do you know what? We are so used to hearing this kingdom word and it being very vague. It's out there somewhere that I chose not to write it that way and to put it this way. Increase of quantity, more people worshipping him, and increase of quality, better people worshipping him. And I'm not afraid to say, every one of us needs to get better. Every one of us has got some more growing to do, some more maturing to do. If you haven't, goodbye, we'll let you go to the Lord and we'll have your funeral later in the week, okay? (laughs) Increase of quantity, increase of quality. The, the phrase, obedient to Jesus, doesn't say, turn to us, ooh. We go, yes. Where do I start? 
hearts that are one to him in love and devotion. It seems our age is growing darker. It's time the church shone brighter. And again, here's one of my favorite scriptures. This one gets me up in the morning as well. Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. This is written to Zion. Zion, code word for the city of God, which is now the church. This is written to Zion. Zion, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Great, hallelujah, whoa, where do we start? But look what it says next. Don't be mistaken. Behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But, thank God for the butts of the Bible, eh? But the Lord, Yahweh, will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to what light? Your light. It's really the light of the world, but it's shining through us. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That, I dare to say, is still yet the future hope of the church in the world. That God's light will shine brighter in us than the darkness gets darker in the world. And that people will start turning to the church and say, you've got what we need. Who's, who, what is it? We say it's Jesus. It's him. It's his kingdom, it's his light, it's his grace, it's, it's his power, it's his wisdom. And they're all at work in us and we're, we're, still, we're still getting there. But you know what? He's, he's here, he's at work. In his people, in us. That's our mission in our generation. It might take more than a generation. In fact, I tend to think it will, but I'll give it a go. I want to see my years out well. Still pursuing this vision of greater glory. We're a city on a hill which is not supposed to be hidden. We are not just a Sunday morning meeting, the fallback option at the weekend when we don't have something better to do. Did you hear me say that? Yes. We're not just a congregation that sings together and hears preaching. We are the church of Jesus Messiah. We are, according to his words, together, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are a city that is set on a hill. We are the community of the king and the evidence and example of his kingdom. And we in particular, speaking locally of just our fellowship, our community here, we are lighthouse. We are called to give light to Harlow and wherever else the Lord gives us opening and opportunity. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you up for this? Are you up for this? And ask a few questions. How much does the kingdom of God matter to you? It's supposed to be your daily prayer. It's supposed to be your daily priority. How much does the kingdom of God matter to you? How much does the church of Christ matter to you? All my springs of joy are in you, O Zion, city of God. This one and that one will say, I I was born in her, I belong to her, I, I belong to the church. How much does the church of Christ matter to you? And how much does the gospel of Jesus and of his kingdom matter to you? You're a gospel person, his good news bubbling in you day after day. Do you have a testimony of his goodness and kindness towards you that you're willing to open up and talk to other people about? And have you even started, have you even begun to be a Christian? Have you come to know him? Have you come to submit your heart to him in faith and obedience and say, Jesus, you're, 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 you're reigning as king. I keep hearing it from the preachers. I want to come under your kingship. I want to know your kindness. I want to know your care. I want to know your leadership. 
I want you to come and reshape my life. Lord, I could tell you where I'm, all the things I'm wrong in, but you know better than I all the stuff that I've done and all the stuff that I am. Come and take me. Come and reshape me. Come and remake me. Oh, you who made the worlds. That'll do for a prayer, won't it? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you. You are king. You are exalted. You reign over all things. And yet we read in the scriptures particularly that you have a particular reign and rulership over your church. You are head over all things to your church. There's not one bit of our life together or as individuals which doesn't come under that all things to the church. Therefore, Lord, as we think about all the areas of our life, work, home, family, illness, sickness, all of that is under your rule, under your care. You are our Lord, you are our Master, you are our King. Therefore, again and again, we want to come and submit to your authority. Submit in obedience. Be asking you, well, Lord, what do I do? How do I do it? What will please you? How will you be glorified in this? We search and examine and test so that you might receive honour in every part of those all things. Pray today for anyone here who's not yet turned their heart and life over to you, that they may find courage to do so and to tell someone they've done so. That your kingdom may advance even by one more person here in this corner of Harlow today, coming under the kingship of Jesus. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your name be honoured on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.